0: Michael is an expert on change management and peak performance in the workplace. He and his team are passionate about helping leaders and teams create company cultures of radical engagement and purpose. He is the founder and CEO of Arc Integrated, a leadership development and organizational consulting firm based in Asheville, North Carolina. As an international speaker and executive coach, Michael is widely regarded by the various CEOs and leaders he has worked with as the go-to resource for helping to transform the company cultures in which he works. His writing has been featured in Time, Money Entrepreneur, and The Washington Post, and his first book, Changes, released in 2019, became an instant bestseller. Michael's mission is to transform organizations to be catalysts that elevate the consciousness of all involved. Hi, I'm Casey, and right here beside me is Kelsey. We are licensed professional counselors, mothers, entrepreneurs, oh, and besties. We know firsthand what it's like to wake up one day and think, how in the heck did I wind up here?
1: Through our own journeys of self-discovery, we found that joy is something that has to be pursued through internal work. Now we are on a mission to help women from all walks of life
0: understand themselves more so they can have real lasting joy. Join us every Thursday to hear fun and insightful interviews with experts who can point you toward self-discovery and fulfillment. We wanted to thank you, Michael, for being here with us. I know you've written the book, Changes, and I know that you do a lot of consulting and coaching and speaking on leadership and all of those things, and particularly adversity and adaptability and change. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on a particular topic that we've personally gone through in the group practice that I own Mindsight, and that is when you're dealing with people, especially whether it's on the customer side or the employee side, sometimes it really sucks. (laughs) Like, Just to be honest, like it's really hard. And you struggle with feeling at times like you can't please everyone. And, you know, like everyone's always wanting something and no one wants the same things or the things that they want. You can't give them. And Kelsey's recently taken over this director of onboarding. And so she's been doing a lot of the hiring and the training we've basically changed our whole hiring and system of support within the practice and she's been heading that up and i've seen her struggling with some of the leadership stuff cuz she's not really been in a position with this company like that before but i thought we could talk a little bit about adaptability change and the suckiness sometimes of leadership
2: yeah it reminds me of a of a quote that I think I heard this first from a marketing expert named Christopher Lockhead, who wrote a great book called Snow Leopard. And I think this is where this quote comes from. But the quote is, it's just important, if not more important to know who we're not for, as it is to know who we're for. It's the idea that, and I think this applies in many contexts to when we're working with employees, to when we're making hiring decisions, to when we're evaluating what to do for customers or clients or whatever is to know really like, where is that line between what we're doing, what we're for, what we stand for, what our values are and the opposite. What is the thing that we're unwilling to do? What are the values or practices that will tell a customer, a client or an employee that this is not a fit for them? And I think being really explicit about that, what are we not for? What do we stand against? allows for clarity of decision from both sides, right, from us as leaders, as well as the side of the fill in the blank, the customer, the client, the employee, the prospective employee. So let me pause there and just see if that brings up any thoughts or reactions.
1: Yeah, I think it definitely brings up some reactions. And I think we always need to know what lane we ride in and also how we pitch that to somebody who might be like a client or an employee that we're trying to get to onboard with us because we might not
0: be a fit and so if we know that that's like let's just be upfront about it right exactly yeah it, it brought something up a little different for me as you were saying that my mind went straight to breaking up is not always a bad thing
2: mm, Yeah. I have
0: no idea I don't know why it went there but it's reminding me of you know like you think this is just me maybe I'm just weird usually I am but Think about, you know, like all the relationships you've been in in the past. For me, anyway, I always viewed breaking up as like a negative, like, oh, this this failed. This didn't work. You know, they're going to hate me, blah, 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 blah whatever. But when you think back, breaking up was probably the best thing that could have happened for us in, in, you know, because it doesn't mean that the other person was bad or that you were bad. It just wasn't a good fit. And so I think I've carried around a lot of associations between that and it being negative. And I think one of the things that I've gotten better at or learned is that if an employee comes on with us, it's important to just let them know it might not be a good fit. And that's what our onboarding period is for. I guess I feel a lot less attached now. Like it's, it's not necessarily a failure if someone doesn't last for a year or two or five or 10.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love the transparency of that, like going into it and saying, Hey, this is a, this is a test run, right. For both of us. And it's so, and, and the permission to say like, it's okay. It's okay. If we determine we're not a fit and it's great if we are a fit and to not be attached to the outcome. I think that's a, it's like a really sophisticated way to lead and is, I think, also very difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to not be attached, right?
0: Yeah, that was when I was going through my divorce and was in therapy myself. <laughs> that was like one of the biggest things that I found myself working on was not being attached to outcomes, like just detaching from outcomes that I really had no control over. And that could ultimately just be a choice that, yeah, I don't really want to do this anymore. And that's, that's okay. Which um, can be really challenging
1: if you're somebody who is driven, like your whole life is built on outcomes. Right. Well, like, to yeah, unlearn that, it's very difficult.
0: <laughs> or, or, you know, like shifting that perspective to, like what kind of outcomes you will attach to and in what kind of ways will you attach? It doesn't, you know, like attaching to I'm a failure or I'm not. If, you know, if I succeed, then I'm I'm doing great. Then that that's a I think that's a negative way to attach to an outcome that is never going to turn out well.
2: Yeah, I've definitely struggled with that. And I think continue to, to work on trying to reframe relationship to failure. Right. And to think about it like, OK, what is. Whatever the the goal wasn't reached or didn't get to where I wanted to get to, but reframing it is what am I what am I learning? What am I going to do differently? And that's it. It's just like data to give and to do something with. There's actually a practice that we'll often do with with teams called the after action review, which is you know it, it's great in its simplicity. Question one is what did we do well? Question two, what did we learn? Question B, what we do differently. And it's super simple. And what well, we've seen, like if a team or an early or individual leader can get into that like regular flexing of that muscle of reorienting around failure, all it does is create momentum for the group or for the individual, depending on how you frame the question.
0: I was just <laughs> thinking about some of our meetings that we have with our administrative team and how, depending on who is leading the meeting, how it changes the whole t- trajectory of yeah. the meeting. Yeah, yeah. Because Mm. people can very easily get sucked into focusing on the problem rather than, okay, let's brainstorm the solutions. And I'm just this way. I don't mind to fail. If I do something and it doesn't work, so what? I'll just do something else. I don't get hung up on that. And we've talked a lot about how she will kind of ruminate on it a little bit more and like Mm -hmm. try to make sure it weighs all the pros and the cons and what are the risks? And she's much more risk averse than me.
2: Mm -hmm. It's all all good. I I appreciate the notion of, you know, who's leading the meeting and the trajectory that it goes in. One of the questions I've been thinking on a lot in the last bunch of months is how do the questions that we ask as leaders actually create influence? And so, you know, when I think about all the questions that we get asked so regularly about leaders, you know, it's stuff like, how do we improve employee engagement? How do we Navigate conflict. How do we hire right? How do we fire right? How do we get performance to increase in our culture? These are like all the common questions. What's in the undercurrent of all those questions is how do I influence someone to do X, Y, Z, whatever that thing is? So how do I influence? I really am, am continually believing that the most impactful path to influence for leaders is the questions that they ask. Like that's the that's like the first domino. And I think to your point about meetings, my my guess would be when you think about those two meetings you mentioned, that the questions that are being asked in the meeting that feels really positive and, and in good movement are better questions. Is that a fair assumption?
0: I think so. Yeah, I think so. But you're more, you know, you have a different view of those meetings. So what do you see? Are you tired of running to the lobby to see if your next appointment has arrived? Would you like a more discreet, stress-free way for your clients to check in? Take a deep breath. The Receptionist for iPad empowers your practice to create a zen-like check-in experience. This episode is sponsored by The Receptionist for iPad. It's the highest-rated digital check-in software for therapy and behavioral health offices used by thousands of practitioners across the country. The Receptionist for iPad is a simple and expensive way to allow your clients to discreetly check in, to notify providers of a patient's arrival, and to ensure your front lobby is stress-free. The software sends an immediate notification to the therapist when a client checks in and can even ask if any patient information has changed since their last visit. Start a 14-day free trial of The Receptionist for iPad by going to thereceptionist.com slash besties. And when you do, you'll also get your first month free when you sign up. Well, I think not only questions,
1: but also statements. Like, I think both, especially in in the work that we do. Yeah, I think it has to have a little bit more intent behind it. But also, like, I like the way Casey runs meetings personally, because I can see that there's, like, big picture in the questions. But also Mm. like the the connection, the underlying connection with personal staff. So Mm. when I think about a meeting that you've ran, I'm thinking, how are you connecting with these people? What is the actual overall goal and how does it help us, one, connect with our staff, but also meet our vision of the company? So it's like very meticulous in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, I feel like I spend a great deal of my time in leadership capacity asking questions. And Mm. really getting them to think it's very common for me to, you know, walk up behind someone in the office and say, show me what you're working on. Well, what made you get come to this conclusion? And if this continues, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think this other department might be doing that would influence what you're doing? Is there anything that we could do differently? You know, just really getting them to think. Rather than me just telling them what to do, I don't do that. And I think that that helps a lot. It's it definitely requires a lot more patience. Yeah, (laughs) because it'd be a lot faster just to be like, hey, I need you to do this. But that's not that's not I don't always want to be in that role of just telling people what to do all day. I don't want to do that.
2: Yeah, I love the what sometimes you refer to as like multiple altitudes. So the notion that, you know, you're asking questions about. You know, individuals and asking questions or being curious or, or giving input at the team level, which might be the second altitude. And then the third being the system, like what does the organization need for success? Sometimes I'll refer to this as the, I was just with a group a couple of weeks ago. I drew it as like three circles, like the, the inner circle is, um, is like the individual. The next circle is the team and the circle out from there is the organization. And we were referring to it as the triple donut. <laughs> as a good way to remember those three levels to your point, Kelsey, it sounds like you've seen Casey do that question asking and, and input at all of those levels. Mm-hmm. Well, actually
1: yeah. too, sometimes I influence, I'm like, okay, I'm seeing this big problem in the in thing. So when you're meeting with our team, I need you to like sprinkle this in somehow. And I see how meticulously
0: she does that. And I'm like, yes. Okay. That's what we did.
2: Yeah. That's so cool.
0: Well, I say that Sometimes I'll tell, you know, I used to teach second graders and hmm. weird, it's very similar. You know, it's just using different vocabulary words, you know. It it's very similar and I think I lead like I like to be led and and maybe there's good things about that, but maybe not so good things too. I like to think for myself and when I have a leader, I want that leader to guide me and prompt me But I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want to, you know, like I want my brain to work and figure it out. And I think that what she's referring to, like the meticulousness of it, is just really getting their brains working in that problem solving mode. And I think it's fun. You know, I enjoy it. I'm curious, what do you...
1: What do you think people look for in a leader in general, besides just like the questions? What do you think are other benefits to a good leader?
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's coming to mind, I mean, I think there's a lot of things. What's coming to mind in the moment, based on what y'all are saying, is uh, there's this leadership matrix called situational leadership. It's worth looking at. And it's essentially there's four different styles within it, which are a combination of how much experience does someone have in a particular task? And how much motivation do they have within their kind of you know readiness to work? And then it matches a style depending on how those two things intersect, experience and motivation. And so when I think about style, I often think that it's contextual. And so one of the contexts is this nature of how much experience does someone have and how much motivation do they have? So like as an example of One of the parts of this quadrant is if someone's really excited because they're new, but they're very unfamiliar with the task, also because they're new, right? They would actually benefit from usually a more directive style of leadership, right? They want to be encouraged, yes, but they also want direction because they're trying to understand the task itself. Whereas if you had somebody that maybe had lower motivation and a lot of familiarity in the task, taking that same style of leadership would actually be demotivating to them. And I'm sure you all have seen, you know, you're probably thinking of examples as I'm, you know, as I'm describing this. So I think, you know, one context is that, is this relationship of task familiarity and motivation. Another context of, you know, what's the best style of leadership in our world, like one of the common threads we see is the matching of communication styles which is a little bit different than the situational leadership model. And and the matching of communication styles is more about, you know, a good a good frame for this is the DISC, which is an assessment tool that you're probably familiar with. And the DISC evaluates communication style, right? Are you more social? Are you more detail-oriented? Are you more directive and results-oriented? Are you more focused on the team? And so I think leaders that are really adaptable in their communication and can meet someone stylistically where they are, are often really well-respected because they feel, the person, the employees, feel like they're being listened to because they're being matched stylistically.
0: That makes a lot so, of
2: sense. Yeah, so th- those would be two of probably a handful of answers about, you know, what makes a good leader. I
0: like that. Yeah, I do too. And it, it also brings to mind, like, okay, for example, we have how many people on our admin team? Like maybe eight? Yeah. not Okay, let's say eight people on our admin team. Kelsey and my client care coordinator, Hannah, probably even one of my marketing people, Savannah, and possibly the other market. I don't know. There's there's probably about three to four of them who I think, tell me if I'm wrong, prefer to be led in like an educational way. Like they Mm -hmm. want to learn. And so if I can meet them from, okay, let me show you why this is important. Let me show you this back end so that you have a full understanding of what's going on and it will click for them. They really enjoy that. Yeah. Like with her, if I can help her understand something more fully, she gets really excited about it. And so Mm. I have some that enjoy that kind and need that kind of leadership through learning. And then I have others. They got to figure it out on their own. So I kind of have to serve as like the coach on the sideline. Like you can figure it out. You can like Emily this morning. I cannot sit and teach Emily. She does not want to be taught. She's just going to need to figure it out. And she looked at me like I had seven heads when I asked her to do something. And I'm like, "I, I believe in you. You can do it. And same for Jackie. I can't go in and like teach her. She's already got it in her head. Her brain's already 20 steps ahead of mine. She's already trying to figure it out. She won't slow down to listen to the instructions. They just got to figure it out. And so I think, you know, just also slowing down enough to get to know the the types of learning styles and, and the communication styles of the people that you have on your team is super important. And when you're blending
1: that, I think knowing, OK, I need to speak to these people. So maybe this is how and it kind of is laid out by department. Like, yeah, not intentionally, mm-hmm. but. So, like, how you pitch something is based on who you're pitching it to. Mm-hmm. When you mm-hmm. when you're meeting with all of us, that's what I see.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's very different. It's almost like I have a different personality depending on who I'm talking to.
1: Yeah, she makes me she makes me nervous around Emily and Jackie. I'm like, all right, I gotta leave. This is just weird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is just weird.
2: That's cool. That's cool that you can be so adaptable.
0: Wow. Well. I mean,
2: Your style. That's great.
0: I haven't always been this way. And there was a lot of times, you know, especially early on in my business ownership era, I just thought, well, they're just if they don't want to work here, they can just quit. You know, like this is how we're doing it. And this is what has to be done. If they don't want to work here, they don't have to.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh,
0: but yeah, I mean, I think we we definitely need to look into that a little bit more. Yeah, I think it would be good to yeah. analyze everyone. Uh-huh. Well, and Michael, if people are listening to this podcast and they're like, oh, yeah, I totally understand what these fools are talking about. And they also need some support in that way. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? I know we'll have all of your links and and everything in our notes.
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks for asking. Our website is arcintegrated.com, A-R-C Integrated. And there's a lot of resources on there about leadership, about change management. We've got a free playbook on there. If you go to arcintegrated.com slash free, there's a playbook you can get with a bunch of resources related to change management. Yeah, always happy to talk about this stuff. If anybody wants to connect for a call, there's ways to do that on the website as well.
0: Cool. Yeah. And we also need to be in touch about sending a couple people to you for some leadership coaching. I, I think that that's the make or break of an organization. And it's the thing that we often neglect for ourselves and in ourselves. So I see the importance and the value in it.
1: I do
2: have a yeah, question before
1: same. we leave. Do you think people are natural born leaders or do you think that they can become really good leaders?
2: You know, I this is coming to mind because I'm just coming back from it. We were at a conference last week helping them out and there was a panel discussion, a bunch of leaders, and someone asked a question about, you know, what do you do with, a challenging employee. And I I really liked this guy's response because it's super, super simple. He's like, you know, it's much easier to support with aptitude versus attitude. And meaning if someone has like, you know, industry or task specific challenges, like we can help teach them, you know, how do you do a particular task? You know, but if someone has, you know, an attitude that's, that's harder. You know, it's harder to help to support, help to remedy. So, you know, I, I think that's one way to think about it. That yes, there might be natural skills and natural dispositions that may be connected to a good leader. I also really believe that people can change significantly. Think about a client I once had who came in from a big company and this person was looking to improve typical leadership skills, communication, emotional intelligence, delegation, trust, empathy. And, you know, they had gotten some feedback that they need to improve these things. And, you know, those are all what you might call soft skills or attitude. Right. And, you know, even though this person was at one level when they came in, at the end of our time together, they had drastically changed in all those areas I just mentioned. And it resulted in promotions and Up leveling, you know, different roles within the organization, meaning they climbed the ladder within the organization. And so I absolutely believe that people can change as leaders and they can develop leadership skills. Like anything, like any kind of development, though, I think it first requires our interest and commitment to it. Like we talked about a little while ago, like, you know, the relationship to failure, like first saying, okay, I got to readjust how I think about failure. And I think similarly, that same kind of spirit when it comes to developing leadership, it first requires asking the question, you know, how might I be even more influential? How might I be even better of a leader? And if we're willing to do that and we have the interest, I think big changes can be made.
0: Are you asking because you want to grow your leadership? Oh, gosh. I mean, I've witnessed it. Like, I think Kelsey is a natural leader, but I think she's very easy to sink into the background if the confidence is not there. But I mean, I see it and I don't I don't see a lot of like, I don't say this very often, but I really do see leadership qualities there that I think can grow and become something. Well, don't make me blush. I'm I'm for (laughs) real. I mean, (laughs) I'm, I'm for real. Like, it's it's. I. It's important, leadership is so important, and it's and, and I'm mm-hmm. saying this because this is one of the things that you know that this is not my strength like leadership is not my strength it is it, it is hard, it is messy it, it I don't like it in a lot of ways. just give me like the problems and let me solve them, and then let somebody else go you know do all the rest, but certainly something that is important,
2: yeah and you know I just to add to your to your question, Kelsey, it's such a good one. The other element at play is that people's developmental areas are so variable when it comes to leadership. I think, you know, for some leaders, I think that we've worked with a lot of it is around the kind of overarching themes of empathy and transparency and trust and communication. And then on the other side, I can think of leaders where it was the heavy emphasis was taking action and setting boundaries and organization and time management and being a little bit more challenging with employees and bringing a little bit more, uh, holding people accountable in a stricter way. And so I think it can, <laughs> that one, does that last one resonate a little bit? That would be the <laughs>
1: side that I was on the second one.
2: Uh, okay. I mean, okay. Yeah. And so, it, you know, I think there's this spectrum of skills and all of us come to the come to the table as leaders with challenges and real great strengths within that spectrum. And where we need to develop along that spectrum is also different for all of us. And so that's the that's the good news, I guess. We all have good leadership strengths and there's probably opportunities to grow for all of us. I could tell you for me right now, the thing I'm challenged with and leaning into a lot is creating a lot more strict structure in our company around processes and procedures and roles and responsibilities. And that's my you know, current edge and area I'm trying to develop.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad you said that. It just kind of normalized a little bit that, it, <laughs> that we all have. Even those of us that teach about leadership still have areas that we can improve upon.
2: 100%. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, besties. Well, we will talk to you next time. Thanks for joining. Have a good one. If you're enjoying our podcast and would like to hear more from us, leave us a review wherever you get your podcast, so we can keep making great content. Talk to you later, besties.